This is Tire Information Whiskey, 2153 Zulu, wind 0605. Zero, zero, 06 Mike Juliet, this is Archer Radar Contact. Azure's weather information from Minnesota, available on flight service frequency. You've dialed in the Flying Midwest Podcast, connecting aviators from across America's heartland. Sharing news, information, and events from around the region. Sit back, relax, and join our crew for some hangar talk as we discuss a wide variety of regional aviation topics. And now, from our home at the Anoka County Blaine Airport, our checklist is complete and we're ready for departure for another episode of the Flying Midwest Podcast. What is going on, everyone? Jim here with the Flying Midwest Podcast. So happy you're able to join us. On this episode, we're joined by Erica Armstrong. She's the author of A Chick in the Cockpit. She'll talk with us about her career in aviation, her book, and much more. And as always, news and events from around the region with some friendly hangar talk along the way. So strap in and let's take off into this episode of the Flying Midwest Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Flying Midwest Podcast. I am Jim. How are you, Maddie? I'm doing absolutely swell. How are you, Jim? I'm doing great. I think we need to get something right out the gate here um, as we get started with this episode. You and I have been really knocking out a bunch of interviews over the last couple days. Though it's been some work, it has been friggin' awesome. I almost said podcast hell, but yes, it has been absolutely wonderful. What did you almost say? (laughs) Podcast hell. (laughs) Oh, No, on a a very real note, yeah, it has been a lot of recording, lots of things happening, lots of moving parts, but we have had some excellent interviews with some excellent people. Yes, we have. And we are very excited to bring those people and those interviews to you. So just a quick teaser. So we talked to Dick Novinsky, who is the Director of Communications for the Oshkosh Air Venture, a little event maybe you've heard of, Um, and he talks to us about a ton of really cool things going on, like... Maddie and I were on like next level nerd mode as he's talking about the things coming up <laughs> for Oshkosh this year. And like, we're like, we want to go right now. Oh my God. Dick is an extremely passionate person. And you can tell throughout yeah. every second of the interview that he is just excited to do what he does. And he loves aviation, loves airplanes and loves air venture. And so do we. So it was a very, yep. very fun interview to record. So we're going to head over there next week and just hang out there because we're so excited. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm making the 11 hour and 52 minute drive up to Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And we're just going to stay there. So <laughs> we're if, just going to stay there. If Dick is listening to the episode before his episode, if you could like have a place set up for us, maybe a couch pullout or something like that, we'll just hang out there until the show starts. Under I don't the have night my hotel sky. open until like the days of the event. So appreciate that, Dick. <laughs> and then we talked to the one and only Richard McSpadden yesterday. That was. Quite the interview. Wow. Yes, it was. We talked with him about the Thunderbirds, his role with Air Safety Institute, some of the really cool things they've got coming up in the future. So we're excited to bring you that episode too. Jim and I both nerded out during different moments of that interview. So oh, that was sure. exciting for us, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I was stationed at Nellis at the same time that he was the commander of the Thunderbirds. So 
I watched him fly an awful lot. And it's, I mean, it's not just like watching the Thunderbirds. I watched him specifically as the commander of that squadron flying around. So it was a really cool kind of full circle of aviation moment for me. So I've been watching the Air Safety Institute videos since I started flying. They were all part of my college courses oh, yeah. and everything. They have fundamentally changed who I am as a pilot. And I can, I'm sure I'm not the only person who can say that. I'm sure Jim has been affected too. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Boy, howdy. Am I excited for that interview to be posted. So, yeah, the next couple of interviews, look out. We got some good stuff coming. So keep listening. What have you been up to in aviation over the last uh, few weeks? I've been flying a little bit, but not a lot. The weather here has been nuts. Like Florida level pop up thunderstorms every day for oh, really? the last week. Yeah, well, been absolutely nuts. I've been doing a lot of ground. Got to teach VOR today to an instrument student. Good grief, that was a struggle. <laughs> so I've been doing a ton of stuff. But Trevor, who is unfortunately not here with us tonight, um, that he was a good segue. Is... <laughs> Thank you. Oh my yep. god, thanks. Um, Trevor has been committing many an act of aviation. He has been both flying on the C one thirty and by himself filling up those hours. So. Fortunately, he cannot be with us here tonight, but hopefully we'll have him on for a future episode. So I was at an event this past weekend, the Blaine Burger Bash, and I met a couple of listeners at that event, and we actually talked a little bit about Trevor. And I think it's important for us to know it's kind of in this space of the podcast, because um, Trevor is still definitely a part of the podcast. He has just been so busy with trying to build up his hours. He's got a really serious goal of trying to make it to the airlines fairly quickly, and he is just knocking out the hours like crazy. So. Um, he's made that his priority and when he's not flying, he's hanging out with his family. So, uh, we certainly respect that direction that he's going when he can join us. He certainly will. Uh, this episode just isn't one of them. So he'll be back. So you mentioned that you had gone to the Blaine Burger Bash. What other acts of aviation have you been doing, Jim? I got a couple of things I'll talk about. Um, so I did my first lesson where I was in the plane, um, teaching something to my instructor. We did slow flight and I didn't I think I took for granted um, the talking part of it. I mean, I knew I'd have to explain things, but I, I don't know if I overanalyzed it or what, but I'm like, am I talking too much? Am I talking too little? Am I adequately getting out the descriptors that I want to explain what's happening with the airplane, with this maneuver, and how to accomplish it? And how do I meld all those things together into something that makes sense to somebody else? And the feedback I got was good, but I mean, it's just something I think I'm going to have to get comfortable with. And being specific, you can't just say, all right, let's reduce the power because then a clever instructor may reduce it a little bit more than you want them to on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. No, not that much. Let's just. <laughs> so being specific with our instructions. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough mode to get into. But once you're into it, you'll notice that it, it gets a lot easier. The other thing I did was I went to the Great Minnesota Aviation Gathering. But not only that, but um, I put something to a test that I actually um, went beyond the test stage and actually published it. So. Um, if you haven't checked out our YouTube page, um, I decided I was going to test some video of going to this event. Something I'd like to try to do a little bit more with, with the podcast is just going to different events around the Midwest, taking some video and putting that on our page just to further showcase aviation. So the idea was just to test it. Um, I was riding out to the event with somebody else. So I wanted to test the equipment, see how it would work in an environment where I didn't have to worry about flying the plane. And then I started testing the software I was going to use to edit and um, the rest is history. I made a 22-minute video <laughs> and published it on YouTube. Good job, Jim. So I'd like to do more content like that as well as maybe um, checking out some 
of the cool like airports and things that are around the Midwest. I know one area that I haven't gotten to that I want to is Fagan's Fighters out in Granite Falls. I want to get out there and check out that museum and and maybe chronicle that flight. Maybe fly out to Madeline Island one weekend. You know, cool Ooh. stuff like that. Check out what the Midwest has to offer if you jump in an airplane. And there's plenty. I yeah I I wanted to go to Mal- Madison Island. My the school I was at took a trip out there, but I wasn't there. I think I was on vacation or something. And of course, the one week where they go and do something fun, they went and camped out there, I think. And I didn't get to go, but it's on my bucket list still. If you are interested in checking that out, uh, just hop on over to our YouTube channel and then subscribe for more content in the future. We do have some exciting things planned that I don't want to spoil right now. So we'll leave it at that. Well, we've been doing a little bit of chatting here, Maddie. Should we jump into the news? Oh, yeah. We've got... Modest sampling today for our uh, news. Really, only <laughs> we could only find things from uh, Minnesota and Kansas, funnily enough. So there's we just have a couple articles. Um, well, let's the hear first. <laughs> the first one. <laughs> are you are you going to be able to do this? Yes, I can. This is yeah. Um, <laughs> this is going to be our professional podcast moment. In starting in Minnesota, and I have to say it like this, so if you're sensitive about bodily fluids, do not listen for the next couple minutes. It's a bird. It's a plane. Nope. It's poop. (laughs) (laughs) On May 12th, uh, residents of Burnsville, Minnesota, were waiting in a caribou coffee drive-thru line, of course, when uh, they experienced some splattering on their windshield of, quote-unquote, brown rain. Carissa, the Burnsville resident, said it stunk and it was not fun. And her cat had a similar experience this morning, so she was not prepared to continue that. Um, she actually has her uh, she has her A&P, so she's a mechanic. And she was curious as to why this was happening and if this was potentially from an aircraft and how that would happen if that was a thing because she didn't think that was actually something that could happen as a forced event in flight. The Metropolitan Airport Commission said they are not aware of any incidents related to flight activity. However, uh, she did some internet sleuthing and she believes that the culpable plane was actually a United Airlines flight to Denver. This is actually surprisingly not the first time that this has happened. And to anyone and to any listeners, um, just so you know, this is this next section is labeled prior poops in case you were wondering. <laughs> um, in 2018, there were, were startlingly large chunks of ice that fell on to some villages in India. Um, of, the villagers thought this may have been an extraterrestrial object. Um, however, this was uh, sent to a lab for chemical analysis, and it was uh, strongly suspected that the ice chunk was actually frozen airline excrement. So no one was hurt in that incident. However, in 2016, um, a woman in uh, Madhya Pradesh was not so lucky, who and she got pummeled uh, by a football-sized chunk of ice. She was just chilling in her house, so nobody's safe. Be careful out there, guys. Nobody's safe. <laughs> Uh, in 2012, a Long Island couple were covered in sludge, quote unquote, as a plane flew overhead. 
Another couple in uh, in England reported an incident where pungent, quote, blue ice hit their roof, broke apart, and landed on their heads. So is this intentional? No. Obviously not. Airliners, planes in general, do keep human waste contained. However, leaks can happen. Um, sometimes it melts and sometimes it doesn't. So it depends on how large the leak was and how um, with the altitude of the aircraft and the temperature, of course. Um, one time, a blue ice actually knocked an engine off the wing of an aircraft, which was interesting. It'll be in the show notes if you're curious of all the different ways that um, different transportation systems dispose of waste. However, do not be alarmed. Too alarmed, anyway. Uh, this is... The chances are low, but never zero, of <laughs> getting right <laughs> done. Um, however, um, this is not an intentional thing. Leaks do happen, um, but it's similar you know, to an oil leak or something. Things, unfortunately, break. All right, moving on. Still staying uh, well, in Minnesota. Be- before we move on, though, I think it's important to... <laughs> we don't want to forget the really harrowing story of one Joseph Dirt, who found his lucky meteorite and put it in a wagon and carried it around town. It also was a large chunk of blue ice. Have I'm you never seen what? Joe Dirt? No. Oh, Maddie. What are you talking about? Joe Dirt. He found him a he found him a lucky meteorite. Sorry, carry on. Moving right along. Here's a fun one. All right. Well, it's not as fun as the last one, but it's um, not. the Minnesota State Patrol says a drone operator was taken into custody Tuesday after an unauthorized drone was seen flying near the agency's helicopter. Bad decisions were made. According to the state patrol, pilots in the helicopter were on a routine patrol at about 10 p.m. near Loring Park in Minneapolis, and they noticed the drone flying nearby. Officials did not specify how close the drone got to the helicopter, but the drone operator was located and taken into custody by police and state patrol officers. The drone was also recovered. However, this investigation is ongoing and charges may be filed. Just don't fly drones. No, (laughs) Well, I wouldn't say that, but... On a real note, please be respectful of other aircraft. Please don't operate unsafely all right we've got one more down to k wichita kansas where i am uh the governor laura kelly has um sent letters urging members of congress to support kansas aviation and f-35 jet fighter production so uh kelly requested that the uh chair members and ranking uh members of the house and senate support the president's fiscal year 2024 budget request for 83 f-35 fighters and at least uh, six additional aircraft. Uh, this program supports nearly 5,000 direct and indirect jobs in Kansas and has an annual economic impact of more than $541 million. Uh, she says that enhancing uh, the F-35 production in Kansas is very important to its future because it generates or it will generate economic opportunities for everybody here and uh, bolsters American national security. We do a lot of aviation down here in Wichita, so I can see I'm not surprised by this, but we will see where that ends up and if we end up building more F-35s. All right. Thanks for the news, Maddie. No problem. Um, Jim, do you mind doing something useful and telling us about the events? Um, Despite how hurtful your comments were, I will. (laughs) We start off in North Dakota for the Fly ND Summerfest. This is the North Dakota Aviation Association's fly-in that occurs from June 17th through June 18th at the Bowman Municipal Airport in Bowman, North Dakota. The unofficial start of the event is Friday the 16th with a barbecue at the airport, and there will be camping available on site. Over the day on Saturday, they will have a number of events, including a corporate air golf tournament, dinosaur dig, and other aviation activities. 
For more information, you can register at www.fly-nd.com. Next up over a busy Father's Day weekend, Wings Over Wausau at the Wausau Downtown Airport. This event takes place June 16th and 17th. They will have a professional air show on Friday night at 5 p.m., a Wausau wing competition where you can sample some wings from local vendors and vote for your favorite, a local air show and professional air show at 2 p.m. and 5 p.m., and a large firework display at 9.30 p.m. More information for that event is at wausauevents.org. We talked about it in our last episode, June 16th through the 18th, the Columbus Air Show at the Rickenbacker International Airport in Columbus, Ohio. They will feature the United States Navy Blue Angels, an Air Force F-22, a KC-135 Strandle Tanker, and many other aircraft. An important note, tickets cannot be purchased at the gate and all tickets must be purchased online. For ticketing information, you can visit columbusairshow.com forward slash tickets. Our next event is a Father's Day fly-in and open house at the Crystal Airport in Crystal, Minnesota. This event will take place on Sunday, June 18th from 8 a.m. until 3 p.m. They will have Dad's Belgian Waffle Breakfast, aircraft and other displays, airplane and helicopter rides, and much more. You can get more information for that event at crystalairportopenhouse.com. And because there are so many pancake breakfasts and other types of fly-ins on Father's Day weekend, we encourage you to check out FlyingHamburgerSocial.com. On his webpage, he's got a number of events listed on there, so we couldn't possibly cover them all in one episode. Please go check out his website, give it a little bit of traffic, and see what kind of events are in your area. Next up is a 4th of July weekend air show spectacular. The 2023 Battle Creek Field of Flight Air Show and Balloon Festival will be July 1st through the 4th. They have a spectacular lineup, including the F-22 Raptor demo team, a Super Hornet demo team, A-10 Thunderbolt Heritage Flight, and many, many more. This event does accept cash and credit card for admission at the gate. However, you can also purchase online on their website, fieldofflight.com. There is a tab for tickets in the top right corner. Coming up next, the National Cherry Festival Air Show, July 1st and 2nd in Traverse City, Michigan. This event will feature the United States Air Force Thunderbirds, the U.S. Navy Rhino Demo Team, Air Show Performer Kevin Coleman with Coleman Aerosports, the U.S. Coast Guard Air Station Traverse City will also have aircraft on display. You can also check out other events tied with the National Cherry Festival. More information for that event, cherryfestival.org. And finally, the 2023 Skull Stole National Stole Competition in Isle, Minnesota. This event takes place Saturday, July 8th. Gates opening at 9 a.m. Tickets for this event will be $10 if purchased online, and they will be $15 if you pay for them on site. There is some limited parking options on site. There will be more information on that at nationalstole.com. And that will do it for this episode's events. Well, Jim, thank you so much for that wonderful recount of the events coming up in our region. You bet. So I think that we have to brainstorm this a little bit before we come up with like some witty, like ad space name. Um, we've tossed around paying the hangar rent, um, filling up our av gas tanks. And um, before we park it for this episode, we got to pay our ramp fees. So if you like any of those, just let us know. Or but for now, we're going to go. Should we go the professional route today? Yeah, that's probably for the best. Not probably for the best. All right. So before we get into our episode, the interview with Erica, the author of Chicken the Cockpit, quick word about Lightspeed Aviation Products and Flying Eye Optics. 
So I've been a faithful Lightspeed owner for the last decade. Uh, Lightspeed headsets continue to change the game with their new Delta Zulu headsets. This newest headset has their best ANR to date, superior comfort, and durability that you would expect from a Lightspeed headset. They're also introducing some groundbreaking technologies. This headset will deliver audible warnings to you by measuring cabin carbon monoxide levels that helps keep you and your passengers alert and safe. The Delta Zulu is also the first headset to adopt a UAC plug, allowing you to connect other devices directly to the headset for charging, data communications, and auxiliary auto. If you already have a Lightspeed headset and want to upgrade, you can check out their website for their trade-up program. For more information, we will put our affiliate store link right in the show notes for you to jump in, support the Flying Midwest podcast, and check out Lightspeed Aviation. We also want to talk about our newest affiliate, Flying Eye Optics. They are a really popular aviation sunglasses company that you see all over the internet right now, and we're excited to have them as a sponsor and be an affiliate for them. So if you've been flying long enough, you've dealt with those sunglasses that don't just fit well under your headset. Flying Eyes have been designed by pilots for pilots. Flying Eyes are made with a super flexible and extremely lightweight patented material that allows the temples to conform to your head instead of curving around your ears. They're easy to put on and take off while you're wearing your headset, and the flexibility of the temple material and shatterproof polycarbonate lenses make these glasses really hard to break. Listeners of the Flying Midwest podcast can get 10% off with our coupon code FLYINGMIDWEST10. Hop on down to the show notes, check out our affiliate link for Flying Eyes, and in your purchase, make sure you use that coupon code to get your 10% off. There, we have covered our affiliate program. Excellent. Jim, thank you for helping us pay our hangar rent this episode. I would like to welcome to our humble podcast, Erica Armstrong, or as she's better known on the internet space, a chick in the cockpit. Um, Erica is a social media personality and also has written a book and is working on another one. Um, her book is named, as her title, A Chick in the Cockpit. She has an extensive aviation background. She started actually in Minnesota at Flying Cloud Airport, which is Trevor and I's home airport, which is very fun. She joined the 99s very early on. She worked a plethora of aviation jobs, including Flying King Airs and 727s. Nowadays, Erica finds herself as an aviation professor at MSU Denver, and her specialty is in aircraft systems and propulsion, instrument fundamentals, commercial operations, and aviation fundamentals. Erica is a wonderful advocate for pilots and especially women in aviation. Without further ado, welcome, Erica, to the Flying Midwest podcast. Yeah, nice to talk to you Minnesotans back there. I, I miss uh, hearing the Minnesota accent, so thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. That's all I know. So We aim <laughs> to please here it. at the Flying Midwest podcast. <laughs> yeah, we're going to jump right into the fast five questions are you ready i think so i'm buckle- buckled up all right first question favorite midwest destination Ooh. um yeah you know we were just talking about park rapids um I, yeah i loved flying into the park rapids airport it was so so weird to have this really nice high-tech airport in the middle of uh, nowhere in northern minnesota so uh yeah that's one of our my more favorite places in the midwest love that airport i don't think i've ever been well, you're going to have to go, Maddie. It's a very nice FBO there, too. So question number two. Favorite aviation book that you have not written? <laughs> that I haven't written. Oh, that's no fun. Yeah, then. I had to put the disclaimer on there. <laughs> um, you know, so, it, yeah, no, that's actually seriously why I wrote a book about aviation. Because there's wasn't a lot of books that I like to read. Um, there's a lot of histories, you know, that I've read, tons of them. I think I've read every aviation history book, but not a lot of stories. 
Um, so that truly is the trigger for me wanting to write the book, is that I didn't re read a lot of books I like to read. That's how you solve that problem. So your favorite aviation book is still your book. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good answer. I'm going to accept it. <laughs> Question number three. Favorite aircraft that you've flown? Ooh. Yeah, it always depends on the mission, but I, yeah, I'm sorry, the one that always comes to the top, the Boeing 727, you just can't compare um, anything to it. So, such a fun airplane. All three seats I got to fly. So, that's kind of where my, um, okay. yeah, my passion for aircraft systems came into play is learning because it was always broken. <laughs> so, you learn really quickly how, <laughs> how other systems work with something else broken. Question number four Least favorite aviation movie? Oh my gosh. Um, oh, okay. Oh, this one just happened. It was on Netflix. I watched, I started it and I couldn't get more than 15 minutes into it. It's called, oh gosh, a wing and a prayer on a wing and a prayer. It was on a Dennis wing and a prayer. Queen, and I'm thinking it's going to be so good. Yeah. Oh, it will hurt. Right? Oh, I had a stomach ache. I had to turn it off. <laughs> My wife was watching it in another room. I'm like, you're watching an airplane movie without me? She goes, I guarantee you're not going to like this. I don't. And I made it about five minutes. I'm like, oh, you're right. I'm going to go. <laughs> but there's some decent actors in that movie. I thought it was going to be good. Yeah, that's what I thought. What do you do? All right, our final Fast Five question for you. This is our favorite one. Um, if you could meet anyone in aviation and have a conversation with them, dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, gosh. Oh, so many. Um I would love to spend more time with John and Martha King. I met them briefly at the Living Legends um, meeting, but I'd like to go to the bar with Bob Hoover and uh, talk to him some more. <laughs> I, I got to meet him briefly at, at the Reno Air Races, and he was such a character. He was so much fun. So, um, yeah, I miss seeing him. I love the little bit that you would like to go meet with him at a bar and have a conversation with him. That's Yeah, the Kings would be at a restaurant and Bob would be at the bar. <laughs> That's fun. I feel like you would meet the Kings at Olive Garden. That's yeah, not a knock on them. I just feel like that's the vibe. <laughs> I, I was thinking more along the lines of like a Baker Square. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Thanks for playing along with our Fast Five questions. I, I think you did great. Okay, oh, yeah. good. <laughs> All right. Should we dive right into it then? Yes. With the real questions? Let's do it. Those are just the warm-ups. Okay. All right. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got started in aviation? Yeah. you. We've got about eight hours, right? <laughs> I think so. It's an eight-hour podcast. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I'll give you the 30-second version here. So uh, no, I, I became an, a pilot by accident. Um, I was in college at the University of Minnesota and um, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was in journalism, didn't know what I wanted, but all I knew is I was out of money. I didn't have enough money. So I was just looking for another job that fit into my schedule. And um, of course, aviation has got crappy hours. And so there was a front desk position at the Flying Cloud Airport um, just for the front desk customer service girl. And so I took this job just because it fit into my schedule. And, uh, you know, I started learning about the industry and just I had no idea all this existed, especially business aviation, that whole segment of um, aviation, you know, that most people don't know about. Um, so all this, the interest got started. All the line guys were flying. I'm like, these guys aren't rock, rocket scientists. So I'm going to go next door and see what they're learning and uh, took one lesson and I was hooked. Um, went there, got hooked up with the 99s and the Red Cross. 
you know, eight, 900 hours single engine flying with them, got me into the right seat of wow. the King Air, flying charter air ambulance. Yep, those were the days. And uh, yeah, just took off from there. 28 airplanes um, I flew before going to the airlines. And uh, that's my uh, aviation in a nutshell. <laughs> that is quite the nutshell. Yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so where did, where did you do your flight training? Um, so at the Flying Club Airport, it was General Aviation Services. I did most of it. Um, okay. So all the Beechcraft, the the sports, the Sundowners. Um, That's cool. Yeah, all the low wing stuff. Because I live in Colorado now, and mm. nobody knows what those airplanes are. So, but I worked at a Beechcraft <laughs> dealer. All the whole Beechcraft line is where I learned. That's so cool. I have a Sundowner. I love that thing. I did most of my training at Flying Cloud, so this is very cool for me. Oh, very <laughs> cool. Yeah. Granted, it was, you know, a couple years ago, but... And mine was a couple more years ago than that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I would like to know a little bit more about how the 99s influenced your flying career as a whole. Yeah, I, I tell you what, in this industry, networking is everything. Um, and it's gotten so much better. There's so many other ways to network. But back then, um, really, the 99s were the only women organization out there. And thank goodness, one night I was studying... Um, at the airport, you know, after five o'clock, it gets really quiet. So I had my books out and this woman walks in. I'd never met her before. She used to cuss and swear like a truck driver, but she was a 99 and she coordinated the um, transport of blood with the Red Cross. And they, at that time, you would volunteer your time and then they, the Red Cross would pay for your expenses. So I would work at the airport and then I'd get into a snowmobile suit and then go fly around the five-state area, picking up blood and then racing it back to St. Paul. Um, so I didn't get paid for it, but they paid for all of my time. And I honestly don't know how I would have made that leap into the next step um, without that, that you know, association. So I'm so thankful for organizations like that. So I have students coming in the door. That's the first thing I make them do is start networking. Um, you know, get yourself on LinkedIn. I know even like even those Facebook pages, they look, you know, kind of, you know, like how, what purpose do they serve? But they really do. It just takes that one person to change your life and make that connection. So, um, yeah, they, they certainly did for me. Oh, that's awesome. Now that I'm like just flying, it's like, wow, it'd be really cool to like meet other ladies, you know, who are doing what yes. I do or like cooler exactly. things than what I do. So it's who you meet. For sure. And through the Facebook groups, can't discount the Facebook groups because that's where I am because they're free. But I've met like there's an exactly. air, a lady air traffic controller that I now know and we're going to go get coffee once she's done with initial training. Like there's so many people out there that you wouldn't know. It's like, oh, you're a pilot or you're involved in aviation. You just don't know. And it's cool that it's like, oh, you can make all these connections with just like a click of a button now. It's very yeah. So when you started with flying, did you know that you were going to make a career of it? You know, after probably, I don't know, 50 hours, um, yeah, it was just full throttle. I, I knew that's what I wanted to do, um, especially when I was starting to meet, you know, watching these nice new shiny corporate jets pull up in front of the FBO. <laughs> Man, looking out there, I just, I knew I wanted to get there. Um, working at the airport changed my perspective on everything. I, I think it would have been even harder if I was working somewhere else and not seeing that because, I mean, it's a long slog to get to the you know paid 
pilot position. Sure. And, uh, you know, you lose your mojo about 800 hours. And, uh, you know, to be able to continuously be associated and see that that carrot dangling out there was kind of what kept me going. But uh, I think most pilots start off wanting to be an airline pilot. That's the reflex to say you want to go to the airlines. But there is so many more opportunities now that didn't even exist maybe 10 years ago um, in business aviation. I'm just watching that segment just, especially during COVID, it really got used more than it ever had before. A lot of companies that maybe would have sent their executives first class decided to charter aircraft and they'd never done it before. But then there's also a driver to justify it and actually buy aircraft. And so you're just seeing this expansion in business aviation and it's kind of a segment of the reason why the airlines kind of have a pilot shortage, a qualified pilot shortage, is some of these people now, they're just they're staying in the pipeline for business aviation. But yeah, that makes sense. I definitely have an interest yeah. in charter. And that was coming from somebody who said, yep, airlines. And then my parents are still like, hey, you should go to the airlines. And I said, but what about, what about slightly smaller jets for rich people? <laughs> <laughs> There is, I'm sorry, but if you put me in a Gulfstream and fly to Australia and then put me in a, a little regional flying to Detroit and St. Louis and, you know, it's a whole different kind of flying. So, you know, you got to kind of understand yourself and your own personality to really make you aware of what's going to make you happy. You know, <laughs> um, you know, you go to the airlines and you're commuting for years um, unless you want to move to your base. And I had six bases in two years. So, um, wow. you know, there's. Oh, yeah, it makes a difference in your work-life balance. Yeah, that's something I value a lot. And it's not everybody's thing. Like, my (laughs) sister will do anything for the bottom line. Like, she will work herself to death in order to, like, buy that pair of shoes or, you know, whatever the goal she has. You know, she has loftier goals. She's going to do better than me in life. But, you know, she, she does that. And that's perfectly fine. Like, quality of life is not necessarily something that she puts at the forefront. But, yeah, that's that's definitely, I think, a consideration that, I think a lot of people during COVID kind of shifted a little bit to that. I think it's the people who didn't like doing that anyway. It's like, do I really want to be doing this and I don't like it? I think there's other things. And so kind of shifting and that works with the business side of aviation because that was growing anyway. Is it, you know, if it's still growing in that capacity still? Right. Well, and look how much your life changes. I, I'm teaching students who are coming out of high school and you tell them, you know, someday you're going to get married and have kids. And they're like, oh, hell no. <laughs> and so, you know, you get on this pathway and you put the blinders on, but all of a sudden life happens. And then all of a sudden you're trying to balance trying to commute and a family and all this stuff. So, um, you know, now that I've spent all those years in business aviation and then at the airline, so I have a contrast, I can see that difference. Um, don't tell the airlines this, but I really prefer the business aviation side of it. Um, you're watching salaries now that are so much better. That a lot of the um, companies have airline-like schedules and um, you know seniority and benefits. And tell you what, they're they're doing a good job of luring these pilots um, into that business sector and keeping them there. That's a pretty big deal. I know quality of life has really transformed in all aspects of the aviation industry in the last what 10, 20 years to have charter almost the same as airlines. Like that's pretty, that's a pretty big feat. Yeah, that's significant. So you mentioned something that brought up another question for me. So as you started moving through your aviation career, what was your trajectory like? Now you talk about working both in the business side as well as um, the airline side. So what was your progression? <laughs> My trajectory was furloughs, layoffs, <laughs> aircraft getting sold. Uh, tr- truly uh-huh. they were... 
overnight changes. Um, and, you know, in that moment, you, you're you devastated. Um, you think, oh, my gosh, I now I'm completely off track. Um, but now when I look back, I'm like, oh, thank goodness. Um, you know, like I had I'd been working for a charter company. Um, well, and I also did pilot services for the same company. But I got hired on in another company um, as captain on a citation, went to school, when I had to go jump in the pool at the embassy suites and show them how to do the uh, raft and all that and the cold pool. I did all their training. The phone rings a couple of days later. I'm thinking it's my first trip and it's them telling me that they sold the airplane. So I'm out of oh, a job no. just like that. So, um, oh yeah, I've been laid off and furloughed and all of those events that happen in aviation and, uh, that's, you know, it wraps back into that networking thing and, and knowing and being connected and hearing um, about job openings. Because in business aviation, I'd say probably maybe 70 to 80 percent of the jobs are never posted. They're somebody knows somebody and they're like, hey, we've got like, you know, right seat in the Gulf Stream opening up. Do you know anybody? And um, it really is that that back channeling that you have to keep active because you never know what your job is going to be doing, you know, a month or a year from now. And and you could be somebody's boss now and next year, you know, they're your boss. So never burn a bridge in this industry. <laughs> sure. Wow. That is fantastic yeah. advice. And it was actually um, a company going under then that made me just finally decide to send my resume into the airlines. Um, I really mm. wasn't going to do it yet. And so I'm like, oh, I'll do it. But then I got hired as a flight engineer um, and got to, you know, okay. start, start flying sideways <laughs> for a while. <laughs> It's unfortunate that Trevor's not here. He's our third partner in crime. He is a flight engineer on C-130s, which is what cool. I think he's probably doing right this very minute. I think so. Yeah, isn't he? In he's, like... on a, he's on a trip with the guard. So he would be just all over the questions about flight <laughs> engineers with you. So <laughs> <laughs> and he'd be talking really loud because he's deaf. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably true. <laughs> As you're flying that flight engineer spot, which aircraft was that on? I feel like you said it earlier. Yeah, this was on the Boeing 727. That's okay. That's what I thought. So cool. Okay. Yeah, this is kind of where my fascination came into understanding how pilots learn, how the pilot brain learns, because you get kind of bored back there after flying in business (laughs) aviation all these years. All of a sudden you get hired and you're not actually flying the airplane. And I'm not kidding. I used to have nightmares that I would forget how to fly. And it was because I was sitting back there, you know, not yeah. <laughs> actually flying. Um, yeah, don't tell the airline, but I was I was still flying a little bit on the side. Um, I made sure duty times didn't cross over, but I, I still kept flying. But um, it's a great experiment in, in human communication to lock strangers in a room, put them under pressure and see how they function. Um, so it, it is such a thing of beauty to watch a, a captain and a first officer work really well together, but it's also a nightmare to watch two people that don't, you know, jive. They don't work well together. It also beca- it becomes a safety issue when these personalities cl- clash. So it's so interesting for me to sit back there as a flight engineer, just be a fly on the wall and watch. And um, you really learn then what makes a good captain, what makes a good leader, and you could oh, see sure. it happening. Uh, yeah, and especially during emergencies to see well, you know what has the better outcome um, and why. Um, so I, you know, with that kind of knowledge, I try to take that back into the students that are just starting off the first 10, 15 hours and really try to get them to even understand themselves a little bit better. Um, one of the things I try to focus on right now is um, like uh, the startle effect. 
and how each person reacts to it because we're all a little bit different. But even the next time you're in like the grocery store parking lot, somebody almost hits you, try to pay attention to how your body reacts to it. And in general, we all get tunnel vision. Um, we kind of focus on what the main problem is, right? So if we can teach pilots right from the very beginning to acknowledge that within themselves, like, you know, same thing for like hypoxia. What is the effect on you specifically? And then what can you do to shake out of that? Um, whatever it takes for you to do it, um, you know, it's whatever the self-talk you need to do um, to, to get you out of it. But if you look at accident reports where there's a really high qualified crew, 10,000 hour captain, and they make these strange mistakes, you just, you just know that it's that startle effect that hampered their ability to process those next steps. Because when your tunnel vision comes in and you're not taking in all that information, um, you know, all you can do is focus on that problem. So if you could start off by verbally acknowledging what's working immediately, saying, you know, hey, we've got two good engines, but the airspeed's not working right? Maybe Air France wouldn't have ended up in the ocean, right? If they had just started off the emergency, acknowledging what they know for a fact, you know, we've got two good engines, all the engine parameters are good, um, you know, then focus on what the anomaly is, because it's it's vice versa right now is what we do is we, you know, what's the issue? Um, and a lot of times sure. with automation, we're not reading it right. So just getting a new uh, mindset going in early, in early training. That's really valuable advice, I think. Because I, I think back even on the stuff that, I mean, the small events I've had, it's, you're absolutely right. What's not working? Right. Not the, what, yeah. what still works? Like, we're still flying, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I took a human factors class in college and this, is, you know, most of my classes were kind of forgettable. You know, it's, you know, aviation stuff and non-aviation stuff. But the human factors one has stuck with me because a lot of it had to do with the accidents. Like there were a lot of accident, uh, lots of accident coverage, but a lot of how the human brain functions and how, you know, designers have to make things with humans in mind because we do very certain things and we expect this and that and not what a computer would see, you know, and things like that. And so working with that, it's it's very cool and it's very interesting, but it all stemmed, yeah, from accidents and stuff from errors a lot of it having to do with systems like you said i think that people don't think about often enough yeah so you can create a reflex way back in early training to, to have a better outcome later on because it could be ten thousand hours later before you have an emergency um you know so if you can have it so that it's a, it's you know first first nature second nature um to to make your brain think a little bit differently um yeah i think it would definitely affect some of these outcomes. It's like every bit of training that you do, you're putting a deposit into the bank. And if you have to make that withdrawal one day, you better hope there's enough in there. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> so from flight engineer to the captain's seat, um, once you get to the airlines, was it, did you have a decent, smooth course to that? Or were there more complications and furloughs and stuff like that too? Um, well, of course, then I got to the airlines, um, immediately got based out in Detroit and then Dallas. And um, so... I always took the upgrade, so it's my own fault, so I was always junior <laughs> on the list. Um, but then 9-11 happened, and boy, boy, if we could all remember those headlines back then, I remember them just saying, you know, aviation was never going to be the same, pilots yeah. were, you know, were desperate for jobs. Uh, gosh, it was just so dire. Um, so, of course, you know, we then go through that again through COVID, um, but now you're just watching the industry just, you know, take off exponentially. So, um, you know, I've 
watching the business side of aviation, it's always it's a cycle. It always seems to be like a seven or eight year cycle. Um, yeah, the one thing that freaked me out, I was just looking up, um, I always am watching the, the pilot shortage, and I just was going through all the FAA um, charts and the airman stats. The cool thing is that in 2013, we had 120,000 student pilot certificates. And as of end of 2022, we had 280,000 student pilots. So we don't ever talk about this. But I think even what Maddie was saying, I think during COVID, people reevaluated what was important to them and what they wanted to do. So I have so many people emailing me who are saying, hey, I'm 50 years old. I've had a full career and I've always wanted to be a pilot. Is there still a chance for me? And the answer is absolutely. Um, and especially because a lot of these people have money. So that affects how fast and efficient your flight training is. So um, yeah, I, I was just blown away by that statistic because we are really in such a dire pilot shortage and we've been talking about it. So I think it's a really delayed reaction. I think enough people, it's been in the headlines long enough that people are actually taking action. So you know what my concern is? Seven years from now, <laughs> when these 280,000 people <laughs> make their way through the system, um, yeah, will there be some pullback on the industry at that point? So, um, you know, I hope not, but uh, I, I, I'm so excited to see that many people out there, at least trying it, um, you know, getting out there. And because I don't care if you even get one hour, it changes you. Um, and anybody that gets to the point where they solo, uh, just to see the joy on somebody's face and they walk a little taller, they have a smirk on their face and they'll always have that. So I'm so happy to see at least that those numbers are growing. I have a, that's what the whole second podcast is about. It's people transitioning from one job to another. So, oh. um, and be, like that same thing that you talk about, I mean, all the people that I've talked to in there, it's all about people are like, what am I doing? I don't like, I, I kind of like what I do, but I don't love what I do. And after COVID, like, why don't I just go chase what I want to do? So that's, yeah. there's so many people doing that. It's all right. So if you want to talk incredible. transitions, here's the best one. <laughs> <laughs> so I always tell my students to always have a backup plan. They always roll their eyes. I'm like, no, I'm serious uh -huh. because every six months you're taking a check ride, you're getting your medical. So March of 2019 on a Sunday morning, I'm driving to brunch to go see my two friends and I got hit by a drunk driver. The oh, airbag flew and um, I lost my hearing and damaged my inner ear. It doesn't sound like it'd be a big deal because for, for humans it's not, for, but for pilots it is. Um, so we use our ears for so many more things than just yeah. hearing. And uh, so I, yeah, so actually I, I'm just about to go back. You'll laugh. I'm going to go out and just go get a 172 and uh, get back in the in the air somehow, some way. Um, but talk about transition, right? Because life does that to you. Don't You don't always consciously get to make those choices. So right. um, definitely along the way, learning how to make the best of those changes and uh yeah, I, I really do end up always in a good spot, even though at that moment you're like, come on, what the hell, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. um, but seriously, it's all it's all been good. That's too bad. People's stupid decisions affect other people's lives so much. But is that where you got into teaching more of the system stuff or was that before that even? Um, I was already um, teaching systems before. Um, I was already working for um, a company called Aircrew Academy, and um, okay. they like to have people out in the industry. So I was also teaching um, at the local university that has a, a flight training in it. So, yeah, I was, 
that that 727 that did it to me. I was so fascinated in aircraft systems. Um, and you know, we really don't teach our pilots a lot. We, you know, we'll lift up the cowl of the of the 172 and show them these are what all the components are. But we don't spend a lot of time talking about, um, you know, if you're flying along and your alternator craps out, what exactly is going to happen? So uh-huh. um, I love being able to take um, those students through um, some scenarios and to get them to start thinking through those things while it's safe and re- we can armchair quarterback, and uh, <laughs> so they're more prepared when, when, not if, when it happens in the real world. Yeah, for sure. It's so important. So the next thing I want to ask you about, um, I heard somewhere that you wrote a book. You want to tell us about that? <laughs> <laughs> I did, yeah. Um, yeah, it's called A Chick in the Cockpit, and... Um, you know, like I was saying before, there's not a lot of stories out there. So part of it was to bring women into the cockpit with me just to have some fun, tell some stories, um, and then to show some of the challenges that women have um, that are going to be unique to them. Um, you know, whether we like it or not, we're still the ones that are going to have babies. And, uh, you know, it affects how we balance our lives and um, just the angle that we have to carry through a career. So um, just wanted to, you know, bring bring the people into the into that story with me and um, my my book club are the heroes of the story so I'm not going to give too much away but uh, yeah I kind of wrote it for them they knew they knew half of the story and so I helped finish it for them so that's pretty cool that's wonderful (laughs) I like that part you mentioned the book club a little bit as far as your writing but what brought you to the point where like I need to write a book about this or I need to write this stuff down yeah, no, it, it, it really was. We had a conversation actually during book club and they were asking, you know, for recommendations on, on books for them to learn about how women, you know, deal with in the aviation community. And they're like, there's nothing here for us to even read together. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, all right, well, I got a good story for you. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was definitely the motivation to, to write that down and, uh, you know, to encourage the next generation and talk about it, just make it normal. Um Honestly, my I've got two girls that I'm raising. They've grown up with it, and I think that whole generation will not even think twice. They truly, they just they don't care if it's man or woman. It's it really does take a generation or two to change perspective. So sure. anything that I could do along the way to help um, change that perspective, but also to bring some of the passion of aviation back, um, is kind of lost its its shine. The glory days of aviation have been replaced with headline news about you know, passengers beating up the flight attendants and just misbehaving and just this whole unglamorous part of the industry. But it's still such an amazing career and opportunity. So anything I could do to to bring back the joy and the humor of the industry um, and remind people that's not all those bad headline news, um, you know, that's, that's part of my goal. Is part of it to inspire that next generation of pilots? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I plug away. I never really liked social media. <laughs> so I, I used it because my dad in Minnesota wanted to see pictures and stuff. So I had just a couple little, you know, things up there. But when I went to pitch my book, my agent said, hey, I love your story. I want to take you on, but I'm not going to take you unless you build up your social media. So I oh. begrudgingly went out and I learned about it. And I actually learned, I mean, it's such a powerful thing. I mean, we we all know that uh, for better or worse. Yeah. So I decided to make the better of it and use that power and um, and have some fun and just let other girls see that, um, you know, I can put my opinion out there. Sure, sometimes they're, you know, you, they're going to go for the juggler and, 
and I'll, um, you know, put my opinion out there. But it's important to see for girls to see that and that I can have some humor with it and uh, show them all the things that maybe we don't even know about aviation and uh, yeah, use the power of social media to do it. I follow you on Facebook. Oh, yay. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, this gal is pretty rad. And then Jim's like, yeah, so we're bringing on Erica Armstrong. who's like, no, you're not. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So you've done a great job. Good job on the social media press. All right. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it worked. Yeah. <laughs> so with your writing, have you worked on any other new projects or do you have anything in the pipeline for the future? Yeah, no, I do. And I, 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 I'm glad that people ask because it's just I need that kick in the butt to keep doing it. Um, my agent retired, so I have to start all over again. And um, the whole process of doing the old fashioned pitching a book and stuff is is it's a long process, but I, I need to get it done. Um, my attention has been a little bit diverted. I have a, a screenplay written for a chick in the cockpit and I had it sold before COVID. And then uh, during COVID, all the contracts were dumb. So I'm kind of starting over again, but I've been working with a professional screenplay writer and we're almost done. We wrote it. We rewrote it all again. Um, now I know why books aren't quite like the movies, but I'm still trying to honor you know, aviation <laughs> and get as many airplanes in there as possible. But uh, so that's kind of been my side project um, attention for the last few months. So but we're getting down there. We're going to start um, entering it back into the um, screenplay writing contest again and getting it out there. Once that's launched again, I'll try to get uh, the other book out there. So the art of being a pilot, um, it'll be definitely different than the first book. And uh, um, I've got about 75% of it written down. I just need to move some stuff around and then start the whole pitching and getting an agent and all that stuff again. Cool. Yeah. Then... Your screenplay can't be any worse than the movie we talked about earlier. So <laughs> I think you're going to be just what, fine. That's the bar. That, I'm studying that as that... the bar. If it's just slightly <laughs> better than that, man, <laughs> I know. No, that bar is so low. <laughs> is, I'm, I sure, I'm sure it's going to be lovely. Well, with all of those things out of the way, should we get to the most important question of the episode, Manny? Oh, yeah. It's time. Erica, what is your aviation unpopular opinion well if you go to social media it's like half my post people are like <laughs> ranting about something i've said <laughs> like, go for it so i i think i got everybody's undies in a bundle um when i talk about pilot training i always suggest especially when you get to the part 135 and 121 world when you're in the full motion simulators i understand that those things are really expensive and you go in and you brief before each session. You know when the V1 cuts are coming. You know what failures are coming. So you're in there and it still feels real, but we don't do a lot of like off the cuff type of training. So I really highly recommend that the professional flight training companies have a segment of their training where you take away their checklists. Um, checklist training is absolutely important. You should definitely know how to use it. But I would love to see, um, and not necessarily the young student pilots that are coming in there. Man, we just, you know, their brains are going to blow up if they have an emergency. So we need them to know, understand yep. a checklist, right? But now when you're flying your golf streams and your, you know, globals and all that, that's where these complicated systems come into play. So that is where in 10 minutes, you're going to find out really quickly 
if somebody understands their systems, give them the airplane, say, I'm going to give you three emergencies, layer them up, because in real life, we only do one at a time. Um, and say, this is a non-failure event. We're going to have just some fun. Just see what you can do to fly this airplane in this condition. What do you really need to do? Do you need to fix it? Can you fly it that way? Let the pilot fly these airplanes under these circumstances and just let them see, um, you know, and then they'll understand, hey, this is something that has to get done before we land or, you know, just let them go through the whole process as a crew. Because then you'll see how well the CRM works too, because now you don't have a, the, you know, the back and forth and let them screw it up. I mean, it's the most powerful thing you can do is to let somebody all of a sudden realize, hey, I have no idea why, <laughs> you know, I don't understand the electrical system. I don't understand and understand the fuel system. Um, you'll find out really quick if you take away the checklist. Just, it should be a fun event, non-failure. You can't fail it, you know, have some fun. Whoever loses buys the beers and just leave it at that. <laughs> How is that unpopular? It sounds perfectly reasonable. I don't know. No, it, it's really hard, especially because uh, simulator time is so precious and it is so expensive. And so when you go in there, your operating specifications tell you all the things that you're qualified for. So you have to prove it. You have to do every instrument approach that your company is authorized for. So there's just not a lot of time um, to get through it. And, you know, your your career is on the line if you don't pass these sim rides, these check rides. So pilots sure. really push back because nobody wants more brain damage while you're in there. Um, that's why we <laughs> need to set it up as a fun training event um, because I had one flight instructor who did that to me when I worked um, at Northwest and the last thing of the day, he would like shut down all three engines and he'd say, okay, no checklist, get us back to the airport. And I, I hated it at the time, but I learned so much from those sessions with him. So, um, you know, don't, you don't want to have more pain in, in training, but it really is a valuable um, segment. Yeah, the power very, of messing uh, up is so yeah. strong. I like it. Yeah, me too. Make those mistakes there. This has been a very enjoyable experience chatting with you, Erica. We really appreciate you coming to chat with us tonight. Absolutely. Oh, thanks for inviting me. Anytime I can sit around and talk about airplanes or aviation, you just give a holler. <laughs> we might just do that again. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like, oh, time to talk about systems. Let's get Erica in here again. <laughs> the aggressively Midwestern systems course. <laughs> See, I like it. I think you meant to say passive aggressively Midwestern. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what we all are. No. <laughs> Missed opportunity. Maybe, maybe don't ever do that with the plane again. <laughs> that sound about right? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> awesome. I know. I used to get, I get used to get yelled at all the time because I'd say, gear down, please. Uh, flaps 15, please. And the instructor would always say, Captains don't say please. <laughs> so I'm like, but I'm last. I say please. <laughs> so I was always scolded for that. Don't be polite. <laughs> oh, just... oh, did you want to land this time? I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. no, no, you do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's all, you, you do it. <laughs> uh, so thanks all again, right. Erica. Yes, thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, thank you guys. It was fun. Thank you, Erica, for joining us on the Flying Midwest podcast. She clearly has a huge passion for aviation, and I think it's cool that she wants to reignite that spark of aviation for others, um, talking about the pilot shortage and just her journey into aviation and how she's chronicled that for others to inspire others. So 
Really appreciate her coming on the podcast. She is quite the cool chick. She is. Thanks, Erica. So what's up next, Maddie? What do we got coming on our next episode? On the next episode, we are going to bring on Dick Nipinski, who works with the EAA, to talk about Airventure, everybody's favorite little local air show. So we'll be talking to him all about all about everything related to Oshkosh and what we can expect for this year, fun things, um, ever basically anything aviation we kind of talk about. So uh, stay tuned to, for a lot of excitement and a lot of squealing and fun things that are Oshkosh related. So <laughs> yeah, if you don't get excited about Oshkosh and listen to this episode, I don't even know if you're supposed to be in aviation. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll be seriously concerned for you. Yeah, you should. I mean, we should we question your aviation loyalty just in listening to our podcast, but if this episode doesn't excite you, you're probably not a pilot. So we're going to be at Oshkosh, Jim and I. We're going to be we at are. Oshkosh this year, and we're going to be repping our super cool merch, right, Jim? We are. And you know what? If you're coming to Oshkosh, you should maybe buy a shirt, too. We could take a group photo, and it'll be a great thing. So if you don't know how to purchase our merch, I'm going to tell you. Fly Midwest Podcast forward slash merch and check out all the cool different versions of t-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts. Hats. All kinds of fun things. Oh my, yeah. Yeah, so wrap your favorite podcast at Oshkosh and the other events. Buy a t-shirt. It goes to helping support the podcast and helping us bring this to all of you. Hey, speaking of that, you know what else helps us bring this to all of you? Our Patreon site. Um, if you want to join that and become a patron, we've got the link down in the show notes. Over on the Patreon site, we've got exclusive content. You'll be able to see some blogs from both Maddie and I. Uh, we post some videos on there and early access to some of our content as well. So check that out. It helps support the podcast. Exclusive content starts at as little as $5 a month, and it helps us bring the podcast to all of you. If you want to be a guest on the podcast, you know somebody who you think should be a guest on the podcast, or you have any other questions, comments, concerns, ideas, or goofy jokes, please reach out to us on any of our social media's Gmail account. Which is? Flying Midwest podcast at gmail.com <laughs> she said with confidence flying midwest podcast at gmail.com you see how i did that you could do it too. yeah well i can't i can't yeah maybe do it hey you know what if you've got an event you could tell us about that too oh yeah we'd love to feature your events if you got a cool event coming up let us know also be sure to rate and review wherever you get your podcast that helps spread the word of the podcast through all the fancy algorithms on the different podcast services so i think that's all we have for you this episode so until next time see ya Thanks so much for joining us on the Flying Midwest Podcast. Until next time, podcast service terminated, Squawk VFR, frequency change approved. Good day. Actually, don't put that in there. That sounds stupid. Um, I think we've all been... So the big deal... No, I wouldn't say the big deal. So the big coal... Oh, big coal. <laughs> the big colon. Drink, drink some more, Jim. It'll help. <laughs> How now, that, brown that's cow? That's going in the bloopers. How oh, yeah. now, brown cow? Moo. <laughs> I say dumb <laughs> things constantly. And sometimes you're I just hear have that to say, you know what I mean. Yep. <laughs> yep. So if you're interested in checking out the video, just jump on our YouTube page. And YouTube channel. YouTube channel, thank you. I saw you like cringe a little bit, like your face twitch, like channel. Channel. <laughs> thank you Jim? for those love it, lo- loving. Nope. Thank you for those loving declarations loving. of. Thank you for weirdness. those loving stories. 
I don't think any of those would be categorized as loving. <laughs> the pooping one, maybe. Trevor's That's not here. Trevor someone's yeah. someone's got to pick up the slack. I got oh, you, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought about it. It's like, how do I say this and not sound stupid? Uh, how about so we've got our er our, our Erica with interview. <laughs> this is, all right, hear me out. This is going to be really stupid. No. But hear me out. <laughs> okay, what? Well, before we park it for this next interview, should we pay our ramp fees? <laughs> ramp That's fees. Stupid. That is so dumb. In future episodes, we're actually going to sound witty and intelligent. Why can't I finish this... Why can't I say one thing? Oh Wrap my it up, Maddie. I'm playing. <laughs> <sighs> Words are hard. Words are hard. Here I go. Here I go. go. Here I go again. Here I go again. That's a different song than I was thinking. Oh. <laughs> if you have any comments, we would love to see them, hear them, and any input that you might have. Hey, we'll probably even read them on the podcast. <laughs> they're funny. Uh-huh. <laughs> even if they're not funny, if they're really, like, harsh, we might still read that, too. Yeah. Jim sounds like he's gargling. Jim <laughs> sounds like he's been drinking. <laughs> he sounds like he's been drinking. We're seriously concerned about his performance. <laughs> Eight hours bottle to podcast. Um, <coughs> sorry, sneaking up. I couldn't stop it. <coughs> Those damn Canadian wildfires. I know. Oh, I'm gonna butcher his name. Uh, we have uh Dick Nipitsky with um. T no, let's try that again. Okay. All right, hear me out. This is gonna be really stupid. 